Edison, The Arrival, Chapter 38. There were two times in Tracy's life when Moody acted like the tall, shiny silver figure. The first was when Tracy was in elementary school. Moody gathered Tracy and his running cousins together to take a picture. Right after, he grabbed Tracy by the hand, and they hopped in his newly refurbished black 1950 Chevy Bel Air. Moody spent years restoring the car, including the original red and black striped leather interior. Granny could have put makeup on looking into the chrome, except she wasn't allowed to drive it. Moody knew she would mess up the wide white wall tires in some parking shenanigan. You're coming with me, Moody said, and closed Tracy's heavy door. Moody got in on his side and manually rolled his window down. Tracy did the same because it was hot and there was no air conditioning. Moody kept the original column shift but had installed the necessary update of an 8-track tape player. At first, Tracy thought he was in trouble because Moody was so serious. I took this picture so you would remember this day, Moody said, and pointed at the Polaroid snapshot developing between them in the wide seat. Then they drove to DuPont City and went to a strange house where Moody got out without hesitation. Get out of the car, boy, Moody said. Tracy went with his grandfather, who knocked on the door. When the white man opened it, Tracy realized they had business with each other. Here, Moody said, and handed the man an envelope. This is the last thing I owe you. In thirty days, I expect to see my title in my hands free and clear, or I'm coming back. Moody leaned over to speak with Tracy. You remember this. This is the day your grandfather paid off his house, and he owes no man nothing but to love him. Moody stood back up and cut a figure with the stub of his cigar under his Errol Flynn mustache and stingy brim hat. Thirty days, Moody said into the man's eyes. You hear me? And Moody looked at Tracy and warmed his tone. Come on, let's go and they got back into Moody's faultlessly black hardtop coupe, started her up, and proudly backed out of the driveway as Mustang Sally played them out at a respectable volume. The second time Moody acted like the tall, shiny silver figure was also serious, even though Tracy wasn't sure why at the time. Moody had called a Jewish man to the house, and this was the second time Tracy had seen him. The first time was a year earlier, just after Tracy moved in with his grandparents. Granny and Moody wanted to adopt him. Vera wouldn't hear of it, so the attorney drew up papers for them to be Tracy's legal guardians. The next time the attorney came to the house was after Moody came home in his wheelchair. Bonnie was a puppy, and Moody had just finished signing an official-looking document at the kitchen table. The trifold legal document was on rigid paper, and Moody held it up for Tracy to see. The only thing legible was Last Will and Testament, 
printed in an English typeset across the top. Tracy, Moody said sternly, you're not going to know what's in this, but remember this day, the day it was signed. Granny, Moody, and the family attorney were at the table in the meridian blue kitchen, and Tracy stood in the doorway. Then Moody looked at Tracy from his wheelchair. If anything happens to me, you get in touch with this man, Moody said, and he pointed the document toward the attorney. He'll take care of everything else. And Moody meant business. Okay, Papa, Tracy said, and studied the attorney. You contact this man, Moody repeated. The severity of Tracy's pawpaw couldn't have been clearer, or the trust that Moody put in the Jewish man who sat at his table. Now, almost three decades later, Tracy went to Rand shortly after his birthday to visit Moody for Easter. In May, Tracy visited Granny for Mother's Day. By that time, Moody was in the VA hospital in Huntington because of the gangrene on his foot. By Memorial Day, Moody was moved to a nursing home in South Charleston to be closer to home. Tracy went to visit him, and like the meetings they held through the years, Moody spoke freely. Hey, Trace, Moody said, can uh, you get me some of that ginger extract? I've seen you use it in uh, your kung fu training. I think it's supposed to be good for settling your stomach. Mine's getting upset from all this medication. Sure, Moody, Tracy said. Tracy also noted Moody had gone old school, returning to homeopathic remedies his family had used at the farm. Then Moody sat up and got serious, like when they went to pay off the deed to the house or the day Moody made his will. Look in there for my book, Moody said, and pointed to the drawer in his nightstand. You're going to need this, but give it to me now so I can call her. Tracy got the black leather address book from the drawer. Moody always carried it in his pocket protector for important numbers, and the pages were only slightly spattered with the oil and grease of a mechanic's fingers. When Tracy handed Moody his glasses, Tracy noticed his teeth weren't in. Moody always wore his dentures when he was awake. This made Tracy realize Moody had been awake for some time, and Moody noticed Tracy looking at his teeth. Yeah, Moody said. They don't fit anymore, since I lost a little weight in my gums. And he fumbled through his address book. The family attorney died some time ago, and his daughter took over. With those words, Tracy realized the gravity of the situation. Moody found the number, and then reached for the hospital phone and dialed. When she picked up, Moody spoke so Tracy was included in the conversation. Yeah, this is Kendall, Moody said. I was calling for you to bring those papers in. And there was a pause while she spoke. I'm okay, Moody said. They got me on some new medication that makes my stomach upset, but that's not what I called about. I got Tracy here with me, my grandson. You remember me talking about him, and now I'm talking to him about you. He'll know how to contact you if something happens to me, 
because I'm giving him your name and number. She spoke again, but Moody interrupted. No, I, I know you're busy, so you don't need to talk to him, but I expect you'll be hearing from him soon. And when Moody hung up the phone, Tracy was shocked. Things became blurry in this world for Tracy, but as Moody gave Tracy his attorney's information, he was forced to make peace with the same thing Moody already had. Later, as Tracy drove home to D.C., he asked the Lord for more time. Tracy meant he wanted Moody to live longer, but the Lord granted his request in a different way. Two weeks later, Tracy was laid off from his contract job, which couldn't have been more perfect. By June, Tracy spent weeks at a time in Charleston visiting Moody. Tracy only came home to the townhouse to cash his unemployment checks. By the time the 4th of July came around, Moody was moved to the VA hospital in Richmond, Virginia. Moody trusted them, and his brother Driss lived in Richmond. Tracy also realized Moody had moved himself closer to the farm and the family cemetery. Then things seemed to become blurry for Moody. On one of Tracy's visits, Moody said something odd during one of his checkups, and it wasn't the first time. Hey, Doc, Moody said. Remember when black was white and white was black? And Moody went on like that until the exam was over. After Tracy pulled Moody's wheelchair out of the doctor's office, he took Moody back to his room and shut the door. Moody? Tracy said, and sat on Moody's bed to face him. No one knows what you're talking about. Now, the medical power of attorney was just signed over to Granny and me, so you need to tell me what this is all about or not mention it any more. Granny is trying to claim you as unfit, and I'm not about to let that happen. So, tell me what you're talking about. Moody got an odd, faraway look. Beware of the time when they call good bad and bad good. And he never mentioned it again. Hello everyone, Tracy here. I hope you're enjoying my story. We'll let you know how to support this podcast later. But for now, the best thing you can do is follow us and share it with your friends and family. So if you like what you're hearing, please help us out by telling people about it. And thanks again. By the time fall came... Tracy had a good amount of time to cope with the process. Tracy had spent a lot of time with Moody, so he went to visit Granny. It was October, and Granny loved Halloween. She spent all year yard sailing and collecting creepy doodads to spread around her porch and yard. For some reason, there were more witches in her collection than most— Granny also liked to put everything up early so everyone could admire her display. Moody hated the process, 
but liked the decorations once they were up. However, Moody's real beef was with the Christmas lights, which Tracy thought about as he and Granny stuffed the scarecrow. It always sat to the right of the front door in an old webbed lawn chair, and was made from Moody's old work clothes. Tracy smiled as he remembered. Why does she have to wait for the coldest day of the year to do this? Moody griped. We could have done this in October when we put up Halloween and just not lit them until now. Granny spookily appeared in the front doorway with a box of Christmas lights. Oh, hell no, Granny stated. I'm not going to leave lights up like they've been left up all year, nor do I wear white after Labor Day. And she dropped off her box and went back into her warm house. A year or two later, when Tracy was in high school, Moody decided to get on Granny's nerves. It was a particularly cold and windy day after Thanksgiving. Tracy was on the ladder, and Moody sat in his wheelchair on the front porch handing him the lights. Here we go again this damn cold, Moody muttered. But he stayed silent when Granny came out to get the mail. Tracy prepared himself, because he knew if they were both quiet when they were together, somebody was plotting a scheme. As Granny went down the walk to check the mailbox, Moody saw his opportunity. Hey, Jackie, Moody said. Since you're down there, can you get my hammer? Granny was halfway to the garage before Tracy asked the obvious through tight lips. What's that got to do with hanging these lights? Shh, Moody hushed. Don't say nothing. Granny got it, came back up the walk, and laid the hammer at the foot of Moody's chair. She turned back down the walk because Troy, the mailman, had just arrived. He liked to chat with all his clients, sometimes twice. There were only three houses past Granny's before he would come back down the other side of the street. That would only be a few minutes, depending on how long Barbara caught Troy's ear. For now, Granny said hello, and only got a few tidbits of gossip before she walked back to the house. Hey, Jackie, Moody said. Since you're going in the house, there's a screwdriver on the steps by the back door. And Granny went into the house with the mail. Oh, she must know something's up by now, Tracy said from his ladder. Moody stayed mum. Granny came back with the screwdriver and handed it to Moody, who put it at the foot of his wheelchair with the hammer. Thank you, Moody said, and Tracy grimaced. Oh, you know you messed it up now, Tracy thought. You never say thank you. But Moody continued on his quest. Uh, down in the basement, there's that pair of yellow-handled pliers, Moody said. And Granny went back down the walk, past her mailbox, and went back down into the garage. Hmm. Maybe she's quiet because she's feeling the joy of the holiday season, Tracy mentioned. That, and she wants her lights up, Moody mumbled. About that time, Troy reached William Russell's house, and William Russell came out to get his mail. 
Granny waved and came back up the walk with the pliers and put them by the hammer and screwdriver. Oh, and you know what? Moody said. I forgot to tell you, while you were down there. Oh, shit, Moody. And Granny straightened up. Get up and get it your own damn self. Troy and William Russell watched Granny slam the door to her warm house, delighted to witness the pair in action, and Moody and Tracy broke into snickers. Now, twenty-five years later, Granny looked at the finished scarecrow. You know, Granny said, y'all always wanted to hang the Christmas lights at Halloween time. I was just thinking about that, Tracy said. And the time Moody had you running everywhere. <laughs> and I told the man in the wheelchair to get up and get it his own damn self. That was classic, Granny, Tracy said, and Granny smiled, but not for long. You want to hang the lights up now? No, Granny, Tracy decided. Because I know you hate that. Besides, I plan on coming back before Christmas. I can hang them then. And Granny nodded. But I was thinking, Tracy said, We should all go down and see Moody. The whole family. We can all pal in our cars and just go. And Granny agreed. So Tracy spent the next two weeks rounding up the family, and then he helped drive everyone down to Richmond. His other cousin, Demi, and her family drove up from Charlotte. Then all the runnin' cousins had a great visit with their pawpaw over Columbus Day weekend. When they returned, Tracy spent the night in his room, and when he came in for breakfast, Granny had just hung up the phone. That was Moody's doctor, Granny said. He said Moody woke up this morning and told the doc he felt really good. Then he asked when he could go home, and she paused. I'm ready to go home, was what he said. Tracy looked at her. Now, Tracy, Granny said, the doctor said that in his experience, when he and the other docs have seen this happen, they have anywhere from eight to twenty-four hours. Immediately, Tracy stood even though he was numb. He picked up the phone and called Moody to keep his spirits up. Well, Moody, Tracy finished, I'll make plans to come down there tomorrow. But the next morning, Granny got the call Moody had passed. The man who had stood next to the tall, shiny silver figure when Tracy was three went to be with him. Papa, you, Papa, you. Tracy remembered when they stood side by side, except Moody didn't know that until now. Now Moody was with him in the heavens. Back here, Tracy covered his pain with urgency. He and Granny systematically told his cousins, particularly Mia, who was a nurse. Tracy knew she had to be told in person, because she and Moody were so close. Tracy went and spoke to her supervisor first. Now, she's going to know why I'm here. Tracy told the charge nurse. So, as soon as I come around the corner and she sees me, I'm going to have to take her home. 
she'll be no use after that. In terms of the funeral arrangements, they were taken care of by the veteran himself. Moody was to be buried at the farm, and Driss, Moody's remaining brother, just had to be there to open the gate. So Tracy headed to the farm in Virginia. Driss met the family at the motel by the lake, because no one had lived in the farmhouse for years. They had a big dinner at the restaurant, and as Driss and Tracy carried on, the family realized how close they were. The two had also spent a lot of time together in Richmond with Moody the past few months. The next day, everyone went to the small white church founded by the great Mr. Moody, where his son lay in the casket. There was a respectable congregation, but all of it was a blur to Tracy. Granny ran around as if she hosted a tea party, but Tracy couldn't let go. After the service, the funeral directors asked everyone to leave to close the casket. Tracy stayed behind with Demi. The cousins sat in the center of the middle row as they turned the crank to lower the body. When Tracy couldn't see Moody's face any more, he broke into a cold sweat and cried more than he ever had. As the funeral procession made the last turn to the farm, nothing was familiar to Tracy. The watermelon field was covered with twenty-year-old Virginia pine. The tobacco-drying shed was hidden in young woods, rather than the hand-built building of logs that had stood at the end of the neatly planted field. When they pulled up to Great Pawpaw's house, it seemed much smaller than Tracy remembered. Mrs. Moody's rocking chair still sat on the front porch, but her chicken house was gone. When they pulled into the circular drive, Tracy thought of her funeral. He remembered the tables of food, and the long procession that walked from the meadow after the rain stopped, before the bees resumed their work in her peach trees. Now that it was fall, everything seemed tired and dying. The small family of twenty arrived, including the new generation of cousins. They were the same ages as Tracy and Freddie when they had first visited the farm. Then, just past the house, Tracy noticed a line of cars parked in the other end of the circular drive. As the family got out of their cars, what seemed a small army got out of theirs. The distinguished black men wore black tuxedos with white gloves and a white apron with a triangular pattern embroidered in gold. Some had large necklaces with medallions, one had a top hat, and all had a golden pocket protector on the outside of their breast pocket, bearing the insignia of the Freemasons. A tall elder of the group came over to Driss and shook his hand. "'We saw that one of our own was going home,' he said. "'We got everybody together. If we had known, we could have done a better job. We just found out from the obituary in the paper a few days ago.' Moody was a mason? Tracy asked, who couldn't believe he didn't know this. It has been for a long time, the gentleman said. He was one of our eldest fellows, and if you don't mind, we'll take care of him from here. 
The group of thirty formed a line to take Moody's casket to the gravesite where they performed the burial rite. And it made sense the son of a brickmaker who lived in Virginia, close to one of the oldest black lodges in the country, would be a Freemason. Tracy also remembered when Moody commented when Mr. Wilson died, the one who taught him to be a mechanic. Moody saw the Mason insignia by the obituary in the paper. Moody said that he didn't know Mr. Wilson was a Mason, but that was the only clue he ever gave that he was one as well. Now, what followed was the pageantry and precision of a perfectly executed service. It was a meaningful tribute to a man who had done so much with his life, and, as with so many things with Moody, it was more than anyone expected. Once the Masons said their goodbyes, the family went through the house, and time had taken its toll. Without the presence of Emma or Richard, what remained seemed shrunken and decayed. Much of the furniture was gone, and it was clear no one lived there. Before he left, Tracy went over to the equipment shed where the family tractor stared blankly at him. He thought of Moody's rabbit-hunting when he had shot out the tire. Then it registered how easily Moody fell asleep at the farm. Now his pawpaw was finally laid to rest where he began, and his course was done. After that, Tracy left Granny in Virginia to take care of paperwork. As he drove back to West Virginia, his thoughts wandered. Moody was there for him so easily, Tracy thought, and they were such kindred souls. Moody always supported him unconditionally, and helped let him live his own life. Now that he was gone, Tracy was surprisingly lost, and Tracy realized how much the fact Moody was in this world had steadied his existence. When Tracy got back to Rand, he headed to the house to spend the night in his room. However, when his hand touched the latch on the gate, he saw the scarecrow on the front porch. Because it wore Moody's clothes, it was Moody's size, and the fact the scarecrow sat in a webbed lawn chair on the dark porch made things surreal. So Tracy took his hand off the latch and decided to walk down the street to spend the night at his cousin Marie's house. He was exhausted, but as Tracy turned, a rabbit came from the side of the house by the garage. Tracy wasn't sure if Moody was messing with him, but the rabbit came right for him. Between that and Granny's witches, Tracy beat it to Marie's house, and the rabbit chased him the whole way. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you would like to purchase the book, Dual Citizen, it is available on Amazon. Be sure to search for Dual Citizen, The Connection. All three books, The Connection, The Training, and The Arrival are available in print as well as on Kindle. 
Dual Citizen, The Connection, is also available on Audible. So, if you would like to skip ahead and see how everything turns out, feel free. But don't tell your friends the ending. Thanks again, and we hope everyone will find their place at the table.